the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Are you looking for truth from God's Word that you can understand and apply to your life? You'll find it today on Make It Clear with Dr. Stan Pons. Listen now as Stan makes it clear. For those of you that are maybe listening or maybe in the car or listening on the radio or whatever, you might not be certain yet, what do I do to become a Christian so that my prayers can be heard by God? Well, I mentioned a moment ago, according to Romans chapter 10, just call upon the name of the Lord and you'll be saved. And that begins it. But John chapter 1, verse 12 and 13 says it just as well. Would you look at it there in scripture? In verse 12 of John chapter 1, it says this. But as many as received him, that would be Christ, to them that are calling unto him, receiving him, he gave the right to become the children of God, even to those who believe in his name. Now, you might want to underline that phrase, believe in his name. The question is, is how do I receive him? You believe in his name. So to say, I receive Christ, the bigger question is, is how do you receive Christ? It's not by promising you'll start something or stop something. What you're doing is you're believing in Jesus Christ, in his name, who he is. Notice what it doesn't say. It doesn't say who behaves or who believes and behaves. It just says who believes in his name. Who were born, not by blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. So you're born again by the Holy Spirit, by the will of God, when you place your faith alone in Jesus Christ. That's the operative phrase. Your faith alone has got to be in Jesus Christ. If you will, you also might want to look at Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 through 12. This is a neat passage of Scripture, and someday maybe when I get to the book of Matthew and I can uh, open that up for you, this is really said in a much broader context. You know, people like to just pull it right out of context. I don't think I will... Uh, uh, contradict the context but let me see if i can simplify it by just giving you a couple of the verses here again in a relationship with the lord and pray beginning now if you will at verse 7 of matthew 7 it says this ask and it'll be given to you seek and you will find knock and it'll be opened to you for everyone who receives and he who seeks finds and to him that knocks it'll be open to him now let me pause for a moment whenever you read scripture it has to agree with other scripture so it will not contradict so in this passage, it does not say that anybody on planet Earth that will do this, God will answer that request. It's who are the children of God. So you have to put scripture with scripture that God then is obligated to answer that request. Then it says, or what man is there among you who, when his son asks for a loaf, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for fish, fish, will he not give him a snake? Of course not. If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, there's that relationship, father's child, how much more will your father, now that's telling you in context again, referring to believers, who is in heaven, give what is good to those who ask him. In everything, therefore, treat people the same way you want to treat you, for this is the law and the prophets. So again, that's the relationship. So maybe I could practically say this. Let me appeal to you parents right now. If your kids were having a bad hair day, they were rebellious, they were uh, dishonoring you, maybe flat out disobeying you, defiantly disobeying you. And then later on that day, they said, hey, would you take me to the beach? 
How quickly would you want to take them to the beach? If they said, Mom, Dad, could I have some money for whatever candy or whatever else? Would you give it to them? Of course not. In relationships, most people are willing to grant a request when there is a relationship that is not broken. Well, if it happens with humans, it doesn't stand natural that it's going to happen with the Lord. So again, who can intercede? Well, anybody can pray, and anybody true can intercede. But the ones who are more likely to be able to receive from the Lord, their answer is, first of all, those who are Christian. You'll notice also that if Psalm 66, 18 is in there, and that basically says simply this. If we regard iniquity in our heart, it says here, and I love the way it says here, it says, the Lord will not hear us. Now, what it doesn't say, and you can put this in your margin, it doesn't say the Lord can't hear you. So that doesn't mean the Lord is not listening. It does mean the Lord is not necessarily responding to those requests of the people, especially of those who know Christ as Savior. So here's my question. If you know someone is in desperate need of prayer, when others need prayer, whether it's in your family or someone you know outside your family and they're desperately needing prayer, before you immediately throw up that prayer to the Lord, it would be wise, based on Scripture, that the first thing you do is to take inventory of your life. Number one, are you a Christian by faith alone in Jesus Christ? The answer is yes. Okay, move on to the next. If it is yes, is there any sin that I'm regarding in my life? Is there any unconfessed sin? Is there any bitterness, greed, moral impurity? Is there anything that would hinder the Lord from wanting to respond to my request? And so what you want to do now is to use these opportunities for others one more time to do some house cleaning in our own lives. And I have to tell you that that's something that's so important because he does want to hear the request of children who are walking in submission to him. And so that's very, very important. You know also in James it says the effective prayer of a righteous man will avail much. And so again, the emphasis is not the the prayers of people avail much. It's the effective prayers of righteous people. Now I can open up that whole concept of righteous. When you trust Christ, you're positionally made righteous, but also when you walk as a Christian righteously, those prayers now become effective in the lives of others. Now, I don't want you to go too deep with this, but I think it's a question worth at least thinking about. If you have been praying for others and your prayers are not being answered, could it be that maybe there's still something unresolved between you and the Lord when you know to do good and you're not doing it attitude or action? I don't know. Just ask yourself, is there something there? Because God wants us to walk in holiness. Now, the next question would be, why should we intercede for others? Well, there's a lot of reasons why. Because when we're interceding, we're talking to God. There's an intimacy there because we know prayer is more than asking and receiving. It's building a relationship with Him. All that is important. But if you don't mind, I'd like to just reduce it to something simple. Why should I intercede for others? Because technically, it's a command. So I do it when I feel like it. I do it when I don't feel like it. I do it until I do feel like it because it's not based on feelings. I do it because God wants me to do that. So when you hear various people that are asking for requests, seriously asking for requests, and that's on your plate, I would encourage you to throw up a prayer. Now, what it doesn't say is how long, how deep, how much. It doesn't say that. Every prayer is a little different. Not every prayer of every person did pray, that Paul pray fully, completely, long prayers for each individual. So they might be a quick prayer. Some of you, because we live in the age of technology, because of Facebook and Twitter and all these other things that are coming at us, it is very easy for Christians to use social media to communicate. And we talked a little bit about the negative part of it last week. But the positive part of it is we have a moment need right here. We can get it to the person within a split, a nanosecond to make out their request. 
This last week, I received a prayer request from a grandmother. Hard to believe. I remember before she was even married, and now she's a grandmother, and her and her daughter is on the mission field in Africa, deepest part of Africa, and she and her granddaughter, the mother and the daughter of the grandmother, both have what they believe is malaria, and they're trying to get them to the hospital. And I got an email that was blasted, uh, hundreds of us probably, and they said, would you pray that they could make it in time because they have malaria? Well, that was neat. Now, I didn't get on my knees and weep and wail and gnash my teeth. I just simply quickly threw up a quick prayer. Do I do that with everybody? I regret to tell you I don't do it with everybody. I I don't know where the line is because I guess when you're a pastor, you get so much from so many people. But I will tell you that this sermon series has impacted my life like no other sermon series on prayer has ever impacted me in the relationship of praying for others. So why should we pray for others? Because God commands us to. And there are a lot of other ancillary wonderful benefits when we do. Let's go to question number seven because this is a little bit more of where I wanted to go from the very first sermon. And that is what needs of others are Christians told to pray for? And I'd like you to know the the operative word is the word told to. We could call it commanded to. There's a lot of verses we could follow as illustrations of it, models of it. Uh, generalities of it, but what are we really supposed to pray for? Now, if you have your Bibles, you're going to want to look at 1 Timothy chapter 2. I picked out a couple of these here, and it's interesting because as I tried to go through Scripture, I did not find a long list of what we're actually told to pray about in other people's lives. But I did find these that just seemed to jump off the page. And so I want to spend a little bit more time on these and a lot less time on the others because this is really the, uh, the core of the whole series when others need prayer. So what's the first thing that we might want to pray for others? And that would be the spiritual salvation of non-believers and then for them to fully know God's truth. Now, I'm getting that from the context of Scripture, but I'd like to show that to you for a moment. So if you will, look at it in your Bible. And if you want, you can have a pen handy because I want to open this up a little bit more than we normally would, even though I'm not teaching 1 Timothy. But follow along here. I'm going to read to you the passage and then I'm going to go back over it. It says, first of all, then, I urge that entreaties and prayers, petitions, and thanksgiving be made on behalf of all men, for kings and all who are in authority, so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. This is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator also between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all and the testimony given at the proper time. And we'll stop there. And so if you'll notice as you read through this, there's an urgency by Paul to Timothy to pray for a group of people, but then he describes the kind of prayers that should be prayed. Then he gives the reasons why they should be prayed and what the final outcome hopefully will be. And so if there is a great passage of Scripture to follow on, what are we told to pray for? This would be it. So those of you who are new to Scripture, I want you to know that the Apostle Paul now is writing to a pastor of a church. We believe Paul was was writing to Timothy when Timothy was the pastor of the church at Ephesus. And after he gives him the first chapter, which is the importance of living a life and knowing truth and defending truth and all of that, he now tells him how to run the church. In verse 1 it says, first of all, then... I would like you to underline or mark the phrase, first of all. It seems like the very first thing in church growth, church health, church uh, strategy, church planting would be that, first of all, I urge that you begin to pray. And so that would be something that I think that would be one of our top calls here. He could have said, first of all, I 
would say teach the word. He didn't say that. He didn't say, first of all, you give your money. Or first of all, go out and uh, hand out tracts. He didn't say that. He said, first of all, I urge that. And then he uses words here. Now, you're going to have to follow carefully. Entreaties, prayers, petitions, thanksgivings. And then there's a comma there again, made on behalf of all men. Now, it's interesting that he uses different words. Entreaties, prayers, petitions, thanksgivings. Now, why are there four different words? Because these are four different reasons, wise attitudes of praying for others. Now, stay with me. Look at the last part of the verse. It says, be made on behalf of all men. That phrase, on behalf of, another concept of that would be intercession. So what he's doing in verse 1 now is he's really opening up the whole concept of intercessory prayer, which once again fits our theme here of our series on when others need prayer, what is intercession? Be made on behalf of all. So here's how you intercede. Let's go back. He said, I urge that first of all there be entreaties. That word actually comes from a Greek word that means a lack, a lack, or you're deprived something. In the context, it's saying that when you go to the Lord, you're saying, Lord, I don't know how to lead someone to the Lord. I don't know how to reach these people. These people desperately need they are without you. They lack you. And so I am praying that whatever happens, these people would come to faith in Christ. It's later on in the passage, but that's what he's starting with. So there's this attitude of emptiness and, Lord, we need you. We need your help. They're lacking. All right, so have that attitude. It's that humble attitude. I can't, but you can, therefore it will be done. Then it's the word prayers there. This word is only used when someone is communicating with God. It's also a word that could be used like a form of worship. It's like saying, Lord, I want them to come to faith in you. I'm talking to you because I want them to have an intimate relationship with you, which stands out a little bit later on in the passage. So the idea is I'm talking with you. I'm bringing them before you. My prayers are coming. There's a form of worship that I'm doing because I want all connectivity to be to you and that you're at the center of it, which now means... Other than preparing these messages and doing church things, there's another study I'm doing on at my house, and I've been doing it for the last maybe month. I'm doing a whole study on worship, and I wanted to go through all what the Bible had to say about worship. And, of course, we, we at this church, you're, you've been around long enough to know that worship isn't just mere, merely music. That's only one small, important, but small part of the whole pie of worship. So I also would like you to know that when we pray for a lost person, we are just as much worshiping the Lord as if we're singing a praise song or we're doing communion because all of this is a part of connecting to the Lord. Then it says here, and petitions. That is a word that's used that means to come alongside of. It also means to get involved in. And so it's almost like saying, Lord, we want you to get involved in their lives. We want us to get involved in them as well. We're making our petitions to you. We want a full involvement in the request as well as the answer of our request. And then the last part of that says, and thanksgiving. And I think that's just nothing more to say, Lord, I thank you that we have the freedom to communicate the gospel. I thank you that the power is in the gospel. I thank you that Jesus Christ died and rose again. I thank you that it's by faith alone. I thank you that anybody who has, has a mind, ability to know right from wrong can also know that they need to trust Christ. I just thank you that once you come to know Christ, you can grow and become like him. I thank you for all the blessings we have. I don't have time to preach all the thankfulness, but you're coming with this whole, Lord, we can't do it, but you can. Oh, Lord, as we come before you right now, we want to partner. We're petitioning you in worship, Lord. We want to thank you for this whole opportunity to do this for you. So now, let me say this simply. That part of our soul winning will be in communicating the gospel one-on-one, eyeball-to-eyeball, nose-to-nose, toes-to-toes, open a conversation, close the conversation, bring them to the gospel. I know that. But at the same time, don't underestimate the 
the incredible importance of bathing this all in prayer. And so I'd like to say, I don't think they're in competition. Some people say, I don't witness, but I pray. I I think that's an off balance. I I don't need to really pray. God just wants me to go into all the world and preach. I don't think that's right either. I do think there is a cart before the horse. And I think while we're doing this, to make sure that our prayer time is significant. Let's go a little bit further. It says here, be made on behalf of all men. Now, that's not meaning women you're left out of this. It's really talking about everybody, all people. Now, let's go a little bit further. It says, for kings and all who are in authority. I was asking myself, why in the world that it's so strategized to say kings and all who are in authority? I'm going to give you my opinion, okay? I think I could justify it in context. I believe it was because the people at Ephesus were still underneath a heavy hand by the government. But they were now getting this, uh, I don't like what the government's doing to me. They shouldn't be doing it. And so they were removing themselves or developing a toot against the government uh, boot on their neck. And so they were forgetting that they too still have a spiritual reason to reach out to those people that are in authority. And the first way you do that is you begin to pray for them. Now it says for everybody. That was probably not too hard to do, but it's praying for everybody. Now, some of you might have an employer or a supervisor that is a real jerk. And it's real hard for you to think of them coming to know Christ as Savior. Some of you says there's no way he's going to get saved. I don't know that, but maybe what we could do is pray a little bit more for them. That's all people. But here it's talking about for those that are in government. Now, I wish I had the time to unpack this whole thing about praying for our president, future president, some of you that are getting this, um, what, what they call... Um, absentee ballots they're coming into your house now some of you that are on that track some of you notice in the paper they have all these people that are running for office i guess what i would say that what you just received and i received is a tremendous prayer list of people that we need to pray for all right some of you are saying man i don't have time for this yeah and i have an answer for that and i only have a question are there things that you're doing that aren't great they're just good that's eating the time away from doing the stuff that would be great in your life, which would be prayer. And so now what you have to do is do a trade-off. And you know my little mantra. I think they're going to put it on my tombstone. Good, better, best. Never let it rest till your good is better and your better is best. And so maybe just try to ramp it up a little bit. Go back to the passage again. So it says here, for kings and for all our authority, so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life. Interesting about those two Greek words, one deals with the tranquil, that means that things would calm down on the outside so we'd have an external tranquility from life that's around us because of the government that's in it. And then the quiet life deals with an internalness that we now will have an internal peace with us. And what do we do? We pray for those that are in authority, particularly those that are in government. And particularly for it, Here's what I'd like you to pray. is not merely that we have good godly government, which is kind of a quick little cliche, not bad, but not best. We might pray that they would, first of all, come to faith in Jesus Christ and then to go on to become a fully devoted follower of Christ. And so that's what we should really pray. I just got this in my email box. It was a news headline that said that they did a survey and they found that over half of America still does not know whether Obama is a Christian or not. Well, that's telling us highly likely that he's not. And at least he hasn't professed Christ like some presidents have very clearly gone on record too. To me, whatever you think of whatever official that's out there, I pray that we as Christians realize the real problem isn't, hey, they're bad leaders. The real problem is that poor man, that poor woman, if they don't know Christ, they're going to spend eternity separated from Christ in hell. And I don't want them to. And that poor man, that poor woman the joy they could have if they could worship the Lord in spirit and in truth and have that intimacy with God. 
So my question is, do you love every authority figure on planet Earth, at least from a God-given love if you don't have one yourself? Could you pray for them? Let's go a little bit further in the passage. It says, this is good and acceptable in the sight of our of God, our Savior, who desires all men. Didn't say he makes them all saved. He desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge, and that's the epigenosis. So it's not just a head fact knowledge of this stuff. It's an experiential where they know the truth, they're living the truth, they're a part of the truth. So yes, that they come to faith in Christ, but that's where I get the fully devoted follower of Christ based on God's word. So I don't want just leaders to have fire insurance. You know, when you go for counseling people, and some people say, I want a Christian counselor. That's a good first step, but let me tell you, you can be a Christian who counsels, but that doesn't make him so much of a Christian counselor. Because really what makes a Christian a Christian counselor is one who's going to use the counsel of the word of God accurately. So in other words, it's not just that they're saved, but they're walking with the Lord. Now look at the last part, and I'm giving this to everyone so you could be a part of this. It says, for there is one God and one mediator also between God and men, and it's the man Christ Jesus. Who comes between us and God? It's not going to be some religious leader. It's not going to be Mary. It's not going to be Buddha. It's not going to be somebody who got some special glasses somewhere. It's going to be Jesus Christ. He's the only mediator. There is one, not a multiple, not the best one, not a great one, not a good one, not a mighty one. He's the only one. He's the one. And then what did he do in verse 6? Who gave himself as a ransom for all. And then the testimony given at the proper time. And you know it's given at the proper time in scripture, but it's also given today. This is the proper time God wanted you to hear this. And I pray that while we're praying for others especially that they would come to know the Lord. How about you? Now, we could talk about leaders, and that's where we are, but I want us to also remember everybody. I picked up something that was interesting. Let me read this to you very quickly. In my research, I came across what you might call a great theologian, an early theologian. In fact, he lived between the late 2nd century and the early 3rd century. Now, that, that makes him real oldy moldy. His name was Tertullian. How many have ever heard of the name Tertullian? Would you raise your hand? Anybody had a couple that have been in Bible school? Maybe you've heard of him. Here's what he wrote about this passage. He said, without ceasing, for all our emperors, we offer prayer. Now, he wrote this way back then when he had the worst emperors. We pray for life prolonged, for security to the empire, for protection to the imperial house, for brave armies, a faithful senate, a virtuous people, the world at rest, whatever. As a man or Caesar, an emperor would wish. These things I cannot ask from any but the God from whom I know I shall obtain them. But because he alone, God, bestows on them, and because I have claims upon him for their gift, as being a servant of his, render homage to him alone. Basically saying, God put them in that position. I'm trusting God to work in their life. I'm praying that those people, and I'm putting this in parentheses, would come to faith in Christ. Another one was by the name, this is interesting, Theophilus. What a name. How'd you like to be known as Theophilus? Sound like Theophilus person. You know, that's his name, Theophilus, all right? He wrote this. I will rather honor the king than your gods, not indeed worshiping him, but praying for him. But God, the living and true God, I worship, knowing that the king is, I love this, made by him. Honor the king, be subject to him, and pray for him with loyal mind. For if you do this, you do the will of God. Moreover, concerning subjection to authorities and powers and prayer, for, and prayer for them, the divine word gives us instruction in order that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life. 
So bottom line, if you want to take anything away, when others need prayer, the very first thing you need to pray about, have they come to faith alone in Jesus Christ, they have the assurance of salvation, and perhaps even gave a public witness so that you know as best as you can that they've trusted Christ. That's number one. And then all the prayers that we're learning about will come after that. Salvation. So the song that was sung or demonstrated this morning by Krista about the fire for this world, that fired me up because that connected with this message. And how we do that, like the song said, take my hands, my feet, my heart, my everything, and let me set this world on fire. And it was really about the gospel, about people coming in to know the Lord. All right, there's enough said about that, the spiritual salvation and to know God fully. Now I want to speak to something that um, can be a little bit more difficult for you to maybe um, follow. It was difficult for me to um, go through the exegesis from the Greek on a very controversial passage of scripture. And this passage is dealing with, do I pray for people when they're sick? I'd like you to listen as best as you can. I'm going to spend more time giving you a balance, a part of, the, of a balance, one side of, a, of, a, of, an, odd, uh, of an argument, not an argument like yelling, but argument of a discussion. Stay with me on this. Don't fight me at least. Let me open it up through scripture. Then you and the Lord deal with it. And if you will, I will at the end bring a little bit more balance into this. So if you will, I'm just kind of setting you up because the question is, okay, what am I told to pray for? Well, yes, we are told to pray everybody for those who are in authority, yada, yada. Now, what are we supposed to do? I want to talk about the praying for those who are sick. So if you will, open your Bibles to James chapter 5, and I'm going to take you to a passage of Scripture that is so often misused or taken out of context. And, I, and I'm doing this not to slam anybody who does. I'm, I'm not doing that at all. I'm doing it because if anybody would read this in the English, it would be easy to come to the same similar conclusions that they have. You're listening to Make It Clear with the teaching of Dr. Stan Pons, founder of Make It Clear Ministries. Make It Clear is dedicated to taking the Word of God with clarity into every person's world. It is the support of listeners like you who make the ministry of Make It Clear possible. You can provide your tax-deductible gift to Make It Clear online by going to makeitclear.org. Or you can mail your gift to Make It Clear, P.O. Box 607-901, Orlando, Florida, 32860. Thank you for helping us make it clear. If you would like to have Dr. Pond speak at your church or event, please send us an email at tellmemore at makeitclear.org. Thank you, and remember to make it clear. Thank you.